You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself Prithvik the host of the show and I'm joined by Chris the co-host like always. Glad to have you again Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I've been been Yeah, it must have been a tough weekend for you because, you know, the in, the invincibility is just, again, a dream for Everton. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, <laughs> another year. We'll wait till next year. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. Season's over now. We've been beat once. Season's <laughs> over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the focus for but, today, though... But still yeah. soccer league, so... <laughs> There's still time, there's still time, I mean, there's still time, yeah. So, the focus though for today's episode is not the Premier League, it's two different games, the two big games of the weekend, the two big derbies of the weekend, the El Clasico in Spain and the Revia derby from Germany, Dortmund versus Schalke and Barcelona versus Real Madrid. And we will start with the Clasico because that was a very interesting tie. I was watching the game and I think probably this is this was probably one of the most enjoyable classicos that I've seen in the last two years because it had some really amazing tactical play. New manager Ronald Koeman, Zinedine Zidane managing again from you know a league winning season. And Real Madrid ran out three one winners at the camp. No? Yeah. I mean I was watching the game. And from what I saw from Real Madrid was conviction. They came there with a plan. They executed it so well. The players played so well. They took all three points and went back home. And as for Barcelona, they had some really good moments in the game. But they never really troubled Real Madrid, didn't they? Yeah, apart, apart there, was a, there was a little bit of a spell after they scored for Barcelona. Where Courtois makes that... Good save, really good save from Messi. I mean, if that goes in at that point, I think it's a it's a different game if I'm honest. But I, I just thought it was a, a typical classical match between them both. Both both teams generally, or ninety percent of the time, throw caution to the wind, and both went go for it. Uh, and I think in this case, the best defense won in the end. Uh, I thought in the second half, Real Madrid just showed that they were a better team. Than Barcelona, especially towards the end. I think once they got the second, it always seemed the more likely that they would get the third rather than Barcelona equalising. That's a general feeling I got uh, throughout the second half. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the starting lineups on paper before the game started. Barca started in a 4 2 3 1. Sergio Busquets and Frankie de Jong in the, as a double pivot. Coutinho yeah. on the left, Pedri on the right. Messi dropping as the number 10 and up top Ansu Fati who is one of the youngest and brightest players in the world right now. Real Madrid on the other hand on paper they were a 4-3-3 but the way they played in position and out of position was completely different and yeah. I mean talking about Barcelona initially they let in a very poor goal in it, I mean at, at first. I mean, Real Madrid out of position were at times a 4-5-1, at times a 4-4-2 as well. They were pretty compact after this quarter, second obviously. But before then, it was kind of a little open game like you mentioned, Chris. I mean, Valverde's first goal, I think it was the fifth minute when Valverde scored. That was a brilliant goal, brilliant play from Real Madrid. 
and they completely carved open Barcelona. The space that Valverde had, the space yeah. that Valverde had on the pitch to make that run and easily go on and score a one-on-one situation with the keeper. I think there was no other outcome expected there once you saw Valverde getting the ball in the in 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 so much space. So that 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 that's basically my question. How did that space come up? I mean. Again, that was initially a mistake from PK who kind of got close, etc. But there was an immediate response. Fati scoring from, was it a Jordi Alba cross, I guess? And Fati scored, yeah. equalized. Jordi then, Alba like you cross, said, very good. Yeah, yeah. And exactly, yeah. That, that, that was a part of Barcelona. So I want to come to that. But Fati scored. Again, Barca had some really good spell. That save from Porto where Messi turned Ramos around and... I mean, he could have probably put into the far post for Coutinho, but it's messy. You expect him to shoot anyway. But that was a really, really good save from Kota. He was on his feet. He was covering his near post so well. He made that save. He's been a completely, you know, revamped animal uh, apart from yeah. his first season trouble. So it's 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 really good to see Kota coming back to his best. But then once Real Madrid got his second goal, they were compact. And I think Barcelona's main plan were to, you know, patiently build up using passing, I mean, passing and also flood their fullbacks, especially Jordi Alba. I think most of their attacks came from the left side. So Gino Dest had a really good performance in my in my opinion for Barcelona. I think Dest was really good. But most of their attacks were down the left. Coutinho coming in closer to receive the ball while Alba makes those runs. But Real Madrid countered it so well. They kind of didn't let Alba get uh, get too much freedom to cross, kind of blocked at times, kind of, you know, restricted the angles so that he doesn't put the ball so well. And I think Madrid was so, so successful in doing that. And I think that that was pretty much the key for them. And as as for Real Madrid in attack, Tony Cruz in build-up kind of dropped in as a false fullback almost the left side so that was pretty interesting to see their build-up was pretty good they kind of you know exploited Barca's double pivot the two I mean those two were actually dragged out of position De Jong and Busquets I mean Busquets I mean it was not a very good game from Sergio Busquets in my opinion and that is again uh you know liability for Barca there but Chris, talking about, I mean, I want to talk about Real Madrid here because they were very compact, but yet they scored three goals. They put up a really good performance. And you look at the expected goals as well. Real Madrid had 3.21, while Barcelona had 1.57. So obviously, Madrid had the better chances to score once they had, once they shot the ball. So what did you make of Real Madrid, Chris? I mean, Zidane came to, I mean, his record in Clásicos are pretty good. Obviously, but did you actually expect Madrid to, you know, race out the way they raced out in the game, despite being a little conservative at times? Yeah, well, I mean, I expected a reaction due to the Shakhtar the Mets game, in which we, in which they were completely outplayed. If we're being totally honest, in the Champions League game midweek, they were completely outplayed in that game. They fully deserved to lose. So, given that, and given the nature of the plays that. They have, given the nature of the manager's experience within these matches, I think a reaction should always be expected. Shouldn't need to motivate your players to play Barcelona. Uh, I mean, you, t- you 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 touched on the first goal there, which was a really good ball from Karim ben- uh, Benzema, 
uh, for Valverde's uh, run as well, a perfectly timed run, perfect finish from him as well. But I just want to pick up on something you mentioned. I mean, I've seen a lot of people. For me, it's not Gerard Piquet's mistake. Uh, I mean, you could argue that he gets drawn towards the ball, but given the space that carrying Benzema's in, he's got no option but to close the play and press him at that point. For me, it's Sergio Busquets' mistake because he doesn't pick up the run from Valverde. And I think that's the issue that Barcelona are going to have when they play Frankie. If Koeman insists on playing his famous 4-2-3-1, which he seems to play at most jobs that he has had, so it, there's, no, there's certainly no indication that he won't continue to play the 4-2-3-1, he's going to have an issue for me with Frankie de Jong and Busquets playing that playing as that double pivot because they're both alike. For me, they're both too similar. Obviously, there is a little bit of a uh, variety between uh, between the both. And maybe in the Spanish league, when they're playing lesser opposition and they're going to dominate possession, then they can get away with it. But in games like this, and certainly in the Champions League, that might that them two as a double pivot may become an issue. Just and that goal is a perfect example why. It looks like Real Madrid went out to utilise or build upon that because there was a couple of times where there was a late run from the central midfield from Real Madrid that Barcelona didn't pick up. And obviously those couple of times that it did happen, uh, nothing came of it uh, for, for, for one reason or another. But however, it only takes once and that was the perfect example of why for me them two are not to play together in a double pivot I think Barcelona if they're going to insist on playing that 4-2-3-1 they need someone out out of them too to be able to press the ball aggressively and also pick up the run and be yeah. not necessarily a ball winning midfielder but someone they need they need to dovetail each other you're going to have someone who's going to be really good in possession and be able to progress the ball forward which for me is Frankie de Jong and then you need if you're going to play him you're going to need someone who dovetails off him and presses the opposition and picks up any late runs in that scenario. And for me, that's where that's where that's not Sergio Busquets' strength. We know that he's one of the he's been one of the be, the best holding midfielders in the world for the last ten to say ten twelve years. I think I think his best years are behind him. Don't think anyone could argue with me on that point. But his okay. strength is not to pick up late runs and harry the opposition off the ball, for example, and press the opposition. He's very good at controlling the play from the uh, from the defensive third and going forward. But for me, Frankie de Jong should be now taking that mantle off him, and Barcelona should be looking to build the team around him as well, uh, or uh, build the back part of their team around his positioning. So that's one thing I noticed with the first goal, and I know you mentioned it there. So that's what I had to bring in. I had to bring that in going forward in regards to Barcelona again. I mean, I mentioned in previous podcasts uh, when we we spoke to our Spanish friend, Michael, and I mentioned that for me, Ronald Koeman is just, I don't know the exact, yeah, the exact, uh, the exact phrase he used, but for me, he's just not a Barcelona manager other than his uh, playing status and his um, uh, alleging that he is from his playing days at the club. Everything about him is not a Barcelona manager. And I think this game sort of reiterated that for me when I was watching it. They always and they always have been, but it's be, in this game in particular they were over reliant on Messi. Now after they equalised, there was seen to be maybe I don't know a five ten minute spell or fifteen yeah, minute yeah. spell where Barcelona seemed the more likely to go on and get the second goal. There was a bit where obviously 
the Thibaut Quartar uh, save, which is a very good save. Messi, very good uh, play by Messi. Obviously, turns Sergio Ramos, doesn't he? Which we all like yeah. to see. Let, let, we all like to see that. We all like to see Sergio <laughs> Ramos get turns. He's not a better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was feasting on that. Yeah, yeah, and there was a couple of uh, other other incidents where you look, where he looked like he was going to score or he was creating. It was creating moments as opposed to chances within the game, but that that was it for me. If it weren't coming from Messi, it weren't coming. Yeah, uh, exactly. And and it was the same in the second half. He kept dropping deeper and deeper. Messi, I, it, it seemed to me. And there was a couple. Of, I don't know if again if it was uh, purposeful from Real Madrid. There was a couple of incidents though where Messi because he's playing. He plays. In the first half, definitely the four-two-three-one, and he definitely played at the ten behind uh, Ansu Fati. I thought he played that, and we'll come on to him next because I still don't think that's his best position playing centrally. Uh, but we'll come on to him in a minute. But in the second half, Messi seemed to have a bit more of a free role, and he seemed to go looking for the ball a lot more. And I think when he does that, and the deeper he gets, you sort of know the plan is not working or the the initial system is not working uh, for Barcelona. And like I said, in the second, that he was, he was coming deeper for the ball. There was a number of times where he, he was just sat on the halfway line. just you could, And he had acres of space. He'd done his dropping off. No one had picked him up. But even then, you, you got the sense that if he got the ball, Real Madrid had done their homework. And who was he actually going to give it to? Exactly. That's, that's, that's becoming a bit of an issue now for Barcelona. They've always been over-reliant on Messi, we, especially over the last couple of years. I mean, last year more than ever, ever I, I thought was as, uh, he was literally a one-man team. But now it's getting to the point where even if he gets the ball, he can't do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's more like it's more like they expect him to create as well as score, which yeah. is too much. It, yeah, and again, I, I thought Coutinho. I I've, when I look at Coutinho from his Liverpool days, I, I always said he's not a world class player because he's too inconsistent to be a world class player. But he has yeah. got world class ability. Yeah, and you always just think, well, w- w- when's it going to show? Is he ever going to show that consistency? Maybe not. Maybe it's not in his locker. But now, when I see Coutinho, I thought he had a, a very good end to the season for Bayern Munich last year. For uh, Hansi Flick was utilising him well. Maybe because he win. Maybe is because he was a squad player. Maybe that's a Coutinho's status now as a player. He, he is he is a better squad player. Maybe as opposed to a first team player who was relied on. But even in this game, it, it just didn't it just didn't seem to work for him. And I I, I don't know about yourself, but they, they played Ansu Fati up front. But then for me, that taken away, especially in this game, given the strength of Real Madrid centre halves, that's taken away all his strengths. I don't see why he started the game if he was going to play up front. I would look to be utilising him, maybe left side, left side, yeah, instead of Coutinho. Not as well as because he just looked. I mean, the goal itself. If you look at Barcelona's goal, I mean that's a fantastic pass from Jordi Alba. Uh, I don't uh, your Jordi Alba. Sorry, I don't think pre- people appreciate how how difficult that that pass was given the pace that he was running at the ball and the ball yeah. bouncing. It's a fantastic assist. It really is. Definitely looks. Uh, it's more difficult than what it looks. But Fatih's run as well is is fantastic. The way he runs in, he runs in behind and gets into the space. Now, because he's playing centrally, 
uh, and, and Real Madrid were going to block that threat off. You sort of take what, what you're taking away his strength. Now, if he was playing wide left, for example, in this game, and he was making an, a diagonal run into the space, then he'd cause a lot more problems, and it would have given Messi a lot more option on the ball. So when say say for example in the second half when Messi was dropping deep, he was getting the ball. The centre half weren't going to come out and press him because they know yeah. what would happen. But he had no one making any kind of unexpected run. run. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and and I, I just think that's where the game was lost, really, for Barcelona. They just didn't they didn't create anything. And again, it, it, people people will look at it and say, oh, this is, this is just the Barcelona we expect. Well, I can assure you, from an Everton fan's perspective, this is not unusual to happen under Ronald Koeman. <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's, 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 that's probably a truth bomb. Yeah, Pro- probably yeah. a truth truth. You're actually dropping a truth bomb here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's exactly. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever you mentioned so far, it's it's been spot on, Chris. I mean, they did not have any runners in the second half. Basically, up front, Messi was Messi basically had the ball and he couldn't do anything. But I just want to come come into the Patreon question from Dieter. And his question yeah. is basically, and first question was basically, was the good El Clasico? Both of us think, yes, it was. But the second Madrid goal, the penalty incident on Sergio Ramos, <laughs> yeah. do you think it was a penalty? Because we've been seeing a lot of controversy on that since then. Yeah, I, again, I had a bit of a, when I watched this, me and my father-in-law was, were actually uh, discussing this because he popped into my house as I was watching it, to be fair. So it's, it's weird this because... Sent, and, and this is where I think football needs to be careful. Like I know we were speaking yesterday, weren't we, through Twitter, saying football needs to be careful now, what they do with tackles and and things like this as well in the penalty area. It pulls because, obviously, we've seen a couple of incidents in the Premier League this weekend, haven't we, in the Manchester United and Chelsea game, similar incidents yeah. that weren't given that you could probably argue were stronger calls for penalties. Now you can understand the inconsistency between two different leagues. You can you can understand that because it's a different way of refereeing, I suppose, and a different type of game. But I don't know because I, I'm at loss to say whether it was a penalty because for me I don't like to see those penalties given. But I suppose when they go to VAR and we're asking referees to look at monitors, they're essentially just going to look at Ramos running or moving. And the fact that his shirt was pulled, so therefore, because his shirt was pulled, it was a penalty. But in, I was looking at it from the point of view, and I don't know whether we, I don't know whether you would look at it the same way. Is when that ball comes over to Ramos, and you look at it, and you're thinking, right, he's going to head this, right? Which has stopped them heading the ball, the pull, or his fall? Because I think he still could have made, he could have headed that ball whilst the shirt was getting pulled. And if he can, then is it a foul? I don't think it is because it's football's a contact sport, and I know, I know, it's not a blatant pull. It's not like he's running past the defender and the defender's dragged him back. He just got hold of his shirt. It's coming over. And for me, the only reason Ramos has not headed that ball is because he chose to fall over. It's yeah, not because he was, he's not because he was pulled to the ground or he was pulled. It's not like the pull to the shirt has stopped them heading the ball. I think yeah. the, do you know what I mean? It, it's like, I think referees and football fans are looking at it going, all oh, right, yeah. Like my father-in-law kept saying, yeah, it's a penalty, got his, his shirt pulled. And I was like, yeah, but his shirt getting pulled didn't stop him 
heading the ball and continuing to play. So therefore, it's not foul play. So and therefore, it's not a penalty. <laughs> Do and you know what's what? funny? Yeah, and you know yeah. what's funny? I mean, we had a more blatant one, a more you know, uh, you know, blatant penalty last week in a Real Betis game, which was which went to VAR and was not given. I mean, that yeah. was more of a penalty than this one, this Ramos. Yeah. And I mean, again, we've talked about VAR referees incompetency in England. It's probably worse in Spain. I mean, Maybe, where's the yeah. where's the consistency? Where's the consistency? Yeah. I just I just think I'm intrigued to know. Essentially, when when a referee gives a penalty, there's always going to be a small section of fans, unless it's definitely 100. percent Do I mean obvious? There's always going to be a small section of fans or a, a proportion of fans that say, well, oh, I don't think so. And that's great. That's why we all love football. We've all got different opinions. Everyone's got their own interpretation of it. But it's getting to the point now where the referees are, are, are using their own interpretation of the rules. <laughs> but you can't do that for the rules, surely. Do you exactly. Mean? So, <laughs> exactly. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We can, all, we can all have, we can, as fans, we can have our own interpretation, interpretation on how the game is played or whether... The referee and all uh, the referee's decision is right or wrong. Surely the referee can't have his own interpretation of the rules. <laughs> the rules are there to be. It's his job to actually make sure that we all abide by the rules. But are we getting to the point in football now where the referees don't know the rules? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It pretty we, much looks uh, like. Yeah, I, I would be intrigued to know if it, if the referees come out after the game. I think it's getting more likely now that they are going to have to start speaking to the media because no one knows why decisions are getting given. Uh, if if we knew, yeah. then we could probably understand it, couldn't we, a lot better? Do you know what I mean? But like in that scenario, this one scenario was a perfect example for me because I want to know whether the referee looks at the position of the ball and is he saying that Ramos's shirt getting pulled has stopped him ahead in the ball? Now, if that's if that if that's his view of it, right, then that's fine. That he's gave that decision. I think he's wrong if that's the case because I think he's I think him falling over has stopped him heading the ball, not the shirt getting pulled. I think he still could have headed that ball whilst the shirt was getting pulled. But I suppose we are getting to the point now in football all around the world where these fans are getting so precise in the area that it is getting to the point where there's no contact allowed. Defenders are going to have to just literally keep their hands right by the sides for the handball issue and right by the sides just in case they get told, oh, right, you've touched his arm. You've touched his arm. Your hand, your hands on his arm. There, he's gone over. It's a penalty. Come on, has he made him go over? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, there's been called for you know referees to have that those mics uh, with them so that the audio that or the communication that they have with the VAR official is kind of in the public domain. It's it's audible to the fans watching, to the world, to people watching yeah. on their TV screens, which is already been implemented in the A-League in Australia. So, I mean, th- there was a small clip of it on Twitter a few, I mean, was it last year, I guess? And that looked really intriguing, the way the referees were having the communication. It was all proper. So, you know, that that is probably, probably feasible. And, I mean, yeah, referees might get into more pressure situations but that's the job of a referee that's just yeah. the job of a referee you can't, I, mean, I mean you can't mess up big calls which might cost a team a game and three points so 
that's pretty much important in my opinion and yeah. i think i think it won't be a surprise if we see referees being given a mic and the communication between them is you know put out there in the public domain for people to hear it live yeah or just it doesn't even have to like i mean they don't even have to do a media interview afterwards but just an explanation maybe yeah. maybe a statement as to like why the rest of certain decisions are given not that we're all fans and we all need to know because we're all so precious and we're all so sensitive to our teams getting beat and our teams getting not for that reason but just to help clarify now because there's so many different decisions getting given we, we don't know the reasons so like for example that one there that I've just said to you about the ball the position of the ball a referee might be able to turn around to us and say, well, no, the, the position of the ball is relevant. I feel it's a foul because you've got a shape hold. Okay, that's fine. But at least we know now that next time when we see it in the week after, in a completely different match, we know what should be a penalty, shouldn't we? <laughs> and what shouldn't be. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the Champions League basically explains their VAR decisions. Post game in an article on the website, I mean... It doesn't hurt for the leagues to follow the same. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it gives more clarity, basically. I mean, that's what we need in football right now the most. It's not technology, it's clarity. Because yeah. I don't know what a penalty is. You don't know what a penalty is. The players don't know what a penalty is. The managers don't know it. And I, I don't think even the referees know what a penalty is now. Well, yeah, I get, yeah, I, that's what I mean. We're getting so precise with move, with touch and handball we're going to go the we're going to get to the point of no return I mean and the Sergio Ramos in this it's just that's a perfect example I would if I was a referee and I went over to that monitor my first finger was right okay then yeah I can see his hand on his shirt right but grappling football happens all the time it's football it's not a direct pull whilst he's running past them he hasn't dragged them to the ground so what has stopped him heading that ball on goal has that pull contributed to that? If it has, then it's a penalty, okay? Whether he makes the most of it now. But when you look at it from the different angle, I looked at one of the replays, sort of behind Ramos. So when the ball, when the cross is coming over, the, or the free kick's coming over, it's the, I seen the replay of like directly behind him. So the the camera would have been by the corner flag, for example, looking, and it zooms in, and it looks like it's perfect for. The reason that he's not being able to head the ball is because he chose to go down. And if he chose to go down, then it's not a foul because a foul he chose to do. He chose to go down. He could have stayed on his feet. It's not a foul if you if you get the option to stand up and you choose to go down. If someone nudges you and you choose to go down, then surely it's not a foul. Do you know what I mean? Because you you chose to go down unless it's a blatant trip. Do you, know, do you get what do you, do you, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, I'm not yeah. explaining my point very well there, but to me, if if you're like in a in a corner situation or a free kick or a cross, if you're like and obviously you're playing you're playing cat and mouse with your marker, and obviously he's got his hand on your shoulder and you've got his your hand on his hip, because you're about to push off and you're about to get a run on him. You see it happen all the time. But we know defenders and attackers in a free kick or corner situation are all over each other. They're always trying to get the slight advantage or the slight edge on their run. If In that scenario, if you go down, but you could have stayed up and the referee can see that on a monitor, like in this Sergio Ramos, then it shouldn't be a penalty because you would be given penalties probably every five minutes in a game. Every time there's a corner, there'll be a penalty. You might as well, you might, if you're the opposition, you might as well just... Or, I'd just tell my team, right, all 10 years on the goal line, don't touch any of them, just let them have a header and we'll try and block it. <laughs> because, 
because yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it would be there would be penalty if, if the referee was shown any kind of consistency, which we all want them to do. They would give four or five penalties a half. If that Ramos incident is a clear penalty, then they'd be given four or five penalties in every forty-five minutes of a football match. Yeah, exactly. So, again, obviously, that's quite a long-winded answer there for our, for Dita, but I'll summarise it then. I'll summarise the answer is that I don't think it's a penalty because I think he chose to go down instead of heading the ball. I don't think the pull on the shirt has prevented them heading the ball. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's probably the same opinion. In, I mean, it's probably the same opinion in my case as well because I didn't see a penalty given last week for Real Betis. Which was much yeah. more of a case, and I don't I don't know how this is a penalty either. If that wasn't so, basically, I mean that was probably a very controversial decision. But yeah. what's what's happened has happened, and we, life goes on, football yeah. moves on, we all move. So, I mean, the final question from Peter is on the man of the match, and I think for me it was Tony Cruz who bossed the game. So I would actually yeah. put my man of the match as Tony Cruz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a couple of Real Real Madrid's perfect response, considering their defeat last week and uh, the defeat in midweek. I mean, it was getting. It would have been interesting to see what happened to Zidane if they got beat in this game. Because I mean, the pressures on both clubs at the moment. I think they're both holding up a t-shirt in Spain at the moment to see who can do worse, Barcelona or Real Madrid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I couldn't argue with that. Uh, I thought uh, Benzema was is usual self he often goes unnoticed as well given the work that he does and his movements after the ball goes unnoticed and I, I would just say as a one final note I don't know what Koeman was doing bringing on uh, Antoine uh, Griezmann in the 81st minute I really don't I think he should have been on the pitch a lot earlier than that yeah yeah so yeah that is with the El Clasico I mean we've gone 30 minutes speaking about El Clasico that was not the plan but it's it's a classic after all. I mean, a lot of controversies yeah. always bind up with a classico. But the second game that we're gonna cover, the last game is the Riviera derby, Borussia Dortmund yeah. versus Schalke. I mean, Dortmund beat Schalke three 0 I mean, I yeah. expected a bigger thrashing, but not happened. But I mean, we had warning signs from the pod that we did with Ronan itself, where he mentioned it's it's a mess for Schalke. They did not yeah. sack David Wagner. In the summer, they waited for the season to start to sack him. They have yeah. one point in five games, second bottom in the table. Yeah, nothing's looking bright for them. This game, you look at the expected goals again. Three nil. Dortmund had 1.48 and Schalke had 0.24, and and even the 0.24 wasn't pretty much you know anything huge. I don't know. I I don't think they offered anything much. It was. Very dull. The, they didn't. They didn't have a plan. Sorry, Rifwick. Was that the XG before the game? Was it? It was, was that, XG. It's, it's 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 XG after the game. It's after the game. After. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 completely. Mm. I don't know. It's completely confusing what's happening with Schalke. They had they appointed coach Manuel Baum. I don't know if if he's able to get the players playing the way with the way he wants because the players just definitely doesn't seem up to it. Pre-game. The ultras, the Schalke ultras, had a meeting with the manager and a few players. I mean, that was out out there asking them to demanding them, not just asking, demanding them to put out a better performance. Their request was better performance. That they don't care about the result. 
they just want to see a better performance but i don't think schalke put that dortmund cleanly won i mean even the first half i don't think dortmund were pretty impressive they they were in impressive against lazio midweek in the champions league they lost they got outplayed by lazio and the first half was pretty much static from them but akanji scored later erling haaland and we will come to haaland in a bit but then maximals with a header again 3-0 win good confidence boost 12 points on the table level on points with bayern munich in third right now one point behind the league leaders rb leipzig so happy weekend for that i mean ha- happy weekend for you know lucian favre's team but yeah. they didn't have much to do they didn't have much to do. so no performance wise i mean we don't have much to speak either because schalke didn't offer anything much but i want to discuss erling haaland here in this team yeah. what a player what a player <laughs> i mean it it kind of surprises me now that dortmund didn't have any competition for his signature from like from salzburg last january i mean what yeah. a player what a performance since i mean what a series of performance since signing he looks like an absolute terminator he yeah cold dripping sauce scoring goals assisting goals has five goals already in the league this season that's one of the questions from our patron deter chris how many goals do you expect haaland to score i mean i clearly can't predict a number because this guy is out of the world and i think this is probably the next generational talent that we're going to see oh yeah absolutely he, he he's in that next bracket now i think as a player i think once levandowski maybe starts the climb which he's not shown any signs of yet i think he's probably the next great number 9 in in your in world football he is uh, he is and he might even have a little bit more dare i say a bit more to his game than uh, robert levandowski he might have a bit more attributes especially at that age he he definitely had because obviously yeah. we all know levandowski got better as he got on and uh, once obviously he experienced playing under klopp and then guardiola uh, yeah, yeah. obviously then he, he hit peak he, he hit he hit peak level but Erling Haaland I don't know everything about him is just sort of unique I mean you look at him and I don't know you look at me and if I met him in the street I wouldn't and not knowing who he was I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't predict how how good he is at football do you, do you get what I mean it's like when I look at yeah. him and like his speed of him and how good technically he is I mean is he is he six foot five? Oh, is he six foot four? Is he? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure of the height. Yeah, yeah. I, for the size of him, and then if someone then would have told me, oh yeah, he's a footballer, after I met him <laughs> in the street, not knowing who he is, I'd say I wouldn't put him down to how being very good technically, and I wouldn't certainly put him down to being how fast he is and his movement. You would just, you would just do the the, the classic, oh, he's a target man. But everything <laughs> yeah. about him. It justifies science for me when I watch him play. I mean, I don't know if you've seen his goal in midweek against Lazio. I mean, technically, how how he hits that ball at that pace when it comes across when it's coming across his body, just what a fantastic finish! Now, it wasn't a great finish on the eye, but when you look, when you see the slow motion, you see how fast the ball's coming across the area, and he meets it. And most players would have put that most players would put that over the bar, or would have to take a touch in that scenario. Just to, just because of the pace of the pass, but he just he just rifles it into the roof of the net, and you just think, Christ's sake, it's just this lad can do anything. He really can't do anything. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, 
I heard a story about him when he was at Salzburg last season. I mean, his, his record in the Champions League is phenomenal anyway. I think he's he scored in every game, hasn't he? Yeah. Like, or every group game and all that. I know he scored in every group game last year. Liverpool but bad, 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 bad final Liverpool game, I guess. Which, I mean, they did not score at all. Salzburg. Oh, didn't they? Did he play, though? Yeah, yeah, he, he did play. I think he actually was, played. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought he'd scored in every group game. Bar I don't one. know about I think he scored, yeah. he scored in every game bar one. That, that right. was the only game he didn't score, I guess, yeah. But there's, there's a story... Uh, and again, I don't know how true this is, but I can't remember whether I read it or heard it on a, on a, on a separate podcast. One of one of the Norwegian uh, journalists was telling the story that when when he was making his Champions League debut uh, in Salzburg, he was out and about in Salzburg that day, or the the nearest town that day, so in midday. And as people were walking, when he when he when his window got when he put his window down, he had the Champions League music playing. On his car CD or car radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because he's just that dedicated for football, he, everything about him is professional. Or so I've read. It's dedicated. He, he's just a fan. He, he comes across as a fan living the dream. And the stories that you hear from, uh, obviously, Norwegian journalists and people that have done research on him and his stories from his kids is that he, he, he's been... He's been brought up to be a footballer. Obviously, he's, he's got it in his in, in his genetics, of course, because his dad was a footballer who played in the Premier League. But yeah, I I, I think I do really think the sky. He's in that bracket with Mbappe. I'm not trying to say he's a better footballer than than Mbappe is because I, I don't think he is. But doesn't mean he can't reach the same level as him. Uh, but he's in that next bracket now with this next generation of footballers who are going to take over from Messi and Ronaldo. I do believe he's on. He's in that. As long as he makes the right career moves, uh, then I think I, th- I think the sky's the limit. I think we- I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of records being broke by him over the next five to ten years. Yeah, absolutely. And Dortmund. Talking about Dortmund, when when Julian Brandt play, they kind of tend to create more often. I, I, I did not actually look at the data or the numbers exactly, yeah. despite being the data man here, but I, I, I what I see is Dortmund being more expressive, more more creative when Julian Brandt is on the pitch. Yeah. I, I think Dortmund have got a problem with Marco Royce. I think he when he plays, he's been such a pivotal part of their team for the last five, six, seven years. But obviously, we all know his injury problems that he's had. He's been, that's not only hindered him personally, but he's hindered Dortmund as a team. He's been probably their most talented player throughout that time. But for me, when he plays for Dortmund, they don't look as good. They don't, the team doesn't look as balanced. And when he doesn't play, the team looks a lot more efficient. Now, in this game, Brandt played sort of as a number 10 he played centrally didn't he I don't know, I know. yeah yeah centrally he played, he did, yeah he played it looked like he played centrally like a number 10 position but he also has the when you when you play him in that position you can switch between systems because he can actually drop in and make the 4-2-3-1 become a 4-3-3 yeah and he yeah. can drop, drop in between the pivot because he played in that role for Leverkusen also he has got the ability to drift out wide because he actually started out on the left-hand side for Leverkusen. So exactly. in this game, you could see him. Uh, there was potential for him to say swap positions with Giovanni Reina, who I know who started out left. 
So I think Dortmund are a lot more unpredictable, which suits suits the manager's style of play a lot more when Marco Royce doesn't play for them, which is a bit, maybe, maybe that's a bit, I don't know what the right word is to say. It's a bit of a, a bit controversial <laughs> to say that. Yeah. Maybe yeah, Dortmund fans might uh, disagree heavily with it, but from what I've seen of them this season, whenever he hasn't he hasn't played, they've looked better. Yeah, I think in this game itself, it was just a pretty. I don't really think they needed to get out of second gear. They seemed to make a little bit of they, they, bit of hard work of it in the first half. Don't really think Schalke were. It was a bit of a. I don't want to say a nothing game because, but the set, the first half didn't really. It just looked like two poor teams in the first half. If I'm being exactly, honest. exactly. Yeah, it didn't. It, it weren't like oh, what Schalke done really well and defended well and sort of. Uh, uh, the three uh, the at the back has sort of stifled Dortmund in any way it just looked like two teams that were sort of not unmotivated but just didn't know what to do it was just yeah, a D- bit of Dortmund's, a, Dortmund's head was still in Lazio they were quite static in maybe, the first half as well yeah and obviously Dortmund have had their issues with players testing positive for Covid we know that uh, certainly for, from a defensive point of view so maybe they they looked at that and maybe thought that they weren't going to go all out straight away but I, I find that absurd against this Schalke team because why wouldn't you go at them because they're a, it's, it's such a shame to say because they're a fantastic club in terms of the fan base I think we all um, I think we'd all love to support Schalke wouldn't we 60,000 fans when fans are obviously allowed back in at every home game and the atmosphere passionate that the, fans. The, yeah, passionate, the atmosphere that they bring to that club and that team are sort of they're the making of the club really uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's playing. Maybe that's part of the the of why they seem to be just continuously falling or continuously getting worse. By the way, the lack of fans at games, but the, it was just a ha- it was just a hapless performance from them. That's the best way to describe it. They just didn't. There was nothing about them at all. I do fear for them this season. I really do. Some Yeah, go on. Yeah, it basically sums them up. Some sums up Schalke as a team since the restart, basically. Yeah, again, they've been poor since this year, really. I mean, sort of. I think the run started by just before the restart. I might, correct me if I'm wrong. It might have just been before the pandemic hit. Uh, because it's a shame because they had a really good, good first after the season. Yeah. Last season, but yeah, for me, they'll be really lucky to stay in the league. Yeah. Really I mean lucky that. If in that that's one of Peter's question. I mean, on on Manuel Baum, the manager. Do you think he will he will be there till the end of the season? Because I I, I don't think anything's improving much. I know it's just five games. I mean, we we just been in five games yeah. this season. But again, uh, the way it's going, the way the atmosphere is at the club right now, uh, it's it's pretty hard to you know. Uh, yeah. Baum Baum staying here. Yeah, it wouldn't be. It certainly wouldn't be a surprise if uh, they done another managerial change. But who goes there? Who goes there and turns that round at the minute? They've been apart from that one brief spell at the beginning of last season under Wagner. They've been sort of declining now uh, since Tedesco's uh, first season, in which he got the champion, got them back into the Champions League. I think he, I think he finished second, didn't he? Uh, yeah. in his first season which was a massive achievement massive overachievement at the time uh, but they've been in slow decline since then uh, and you see it you see it you see this happen it's not it's not unusual for it to happen in Germany Stuttgart Hamburg 
have both suffered similar fates in the past. Obviously, you always see it in the Premier League, don't you? Villa, Leeds, etc. Nothing of Forest. All these massive clubs with great fan bases. Once you're on that decline, it, it, it's hard to stop it unless exactly. you take drastic measures. And yeah, I, I don't. I no. I mean, to answer Dieter's question, no, I don't see him. I don't uh, see uh, Manuel Barnes seeing the season out, but I really don't know who they would get next as a better, yeah. better alternative. Yeah. And and we will end the podcast with the final question again, once again from Dieter on the man of the match for this game. I mean, for me, I think we, I, I definitely have like three to four candidates from Dortmund, especially yeah. the second second half. But mostly defense. I think Akanji was brilliant. I think Hummels was also brilliant. Rafael Guerrero, probably yes. Dahoud also maybe. So I mean, yeah. Halan was brilliant. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I think the defense was better. I guess Akanji had a really really good game. Probably I, I would probably hand it over to Akanji because he's been he's been struggling a bit, but. This probably gives him a lot of confidence moving forward because it was a very solid performance from him. He got that first goal as well, which set yeah. the game off for Dortmund. So I, I would probably pick Manuel Akanji as my man for the match. Yeah, again, it's a good question, especially for this game because it makes you think about it. Because again, I don't think anyone was great individually, uh, and the reason I say that is I really don't know what Schalke's game plan was. Don't really think anyone sort of stood out for them. But the same could be said about Dortmund as well. Um, they sort of done... I don't want to say they were sloppy because they won 3-0. So you, you, things are going good if you're if you're putting in sloppy performances and you're winning the game 3-0. You, if you can afford that luxury. But they didn't really have to get out of second gear. I, I don't know what you think about that. I, I certainly thought they just, they, just, they just raised the performance slightly in the second half. I think the play. I can't really argue with the plays that you mentioned. Rafael Guerrero seemed to be his usual self. Gets on the ball a lot. He picks up some very intriguing positions. Uh, certainly for a left back, uh, he cannot. He can. He can play on the outside. He can also play on the inside, which is uh, which is great. But you can mix up your style of play going forward. I thought Julian Brandt does is just a really, really. Uh, I don't want to say underrated, but I think when you consider the amount of times he plays or the amount of use that the German nationals team get out of him, I think he's a lot better than uh, they show. So, he, he, for me, he always, stand, he always stands out for me. I don't know whether it's because I look out for players who play in that position, because I played in a similar position when I was younger, but he just, his variety in his play and his variety in his movements always stands out for me. So, I would probably say him, but again, yeah, the players that you mentioned, I can't argue it. Can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. Brand, Brand seems yeah. a fair, fair, Brand. fair pick as well. Yeah. Brand seems a fair pick as well. So, yeah. That brings us to the end of this episode. The Riviera Derby and the El Clasico is what we've covered. So, thank you so much, Chris, once again for joining in on this episode. Yeah. Thank you to all our patrons as well for giving us your support, taking it to another level and finally thanking all the listeners for tuning in to our podcast regularly. We expect more support from you in the future and thank you so much once again. Until the next episode, this is Ritik signing off. Bye-bye. Take care.